Our scripture reading this morning is found in the Gospel of John, the very first chapter, verses 1 through 14. It's on page 1053 in the Bible in front of you. John 1, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning I'm going to bring you back to the early 1900s. It's Christmas Eve. Henry Carter, a pastor and an administrator of a home that was for children who were emotionally impaired, was sitting in his office. There was a knock on the door. One of the floor mothers came to tell him that little Tommy had once again crawled under his bed and refused to come out. So Henry followed her up the stairs and he looked at the bed that she pointed out. He couldn't see a strand of hair or even a toe sticking out from underneath it. Henry smiled. He knew what to do. He had experience dealing with children. So he walked over to the bed and he began speaking to the bucking broncos on the bedspread, telling them about the bright Christmas tree, the, president, the presents that were underneath, all of the good things that were waiting for little Tommy if he would only come out from under the bed. No answer. So Henry dropped to his hands and knees, 
and he lifted up the bedspread. He looked under and he saw two enormous blue eyes staring back at him. Little eight-year-old Tommy, very small for his age. Now Henry could have easily grabbed him and forced him out, but it wasn't pulling that Tommy needed. It was trust, a sense that he could decide on his own initiative. So crouched on all fours, Henry launched into the menu of the special Christmas Eve supper that was being prepared and offered after the service. He went on to talk about all of the Christmas stockings. One of them had Tommy's name on it. Still, silence. In fact, no indication that Tommy heard what he said or that he even cared. So having exhausted all of his resources, Henry took a deep breath. He got down on his stomach and he wiggled under the bed next to Tommy. Of course, along the way, he snagged his suit jacket on a bed spring and he hit his head on one of the supports underneath. So he lay there with Tommy for a while, his cheek pressed against the floor. Finally, he tried again. He began talking about the big wreath that they set up by the pulpit, all of the beautiful candles that they were going to have, the carols that the boys and girls were going to sing. And then he literally ran out of things to say. So he just simply laid next to Tommy, waiting. After a few moments, he felt a small little cold hand slip into his hand. Then Henry said, you know, Tommy, it really is tight under here. Why don't we get out and stand up? And that's exactly what happened. And as they were sliding out from under that bed, Henry realized that God had given him at that moment a wonderful glimpse into the mystery of Christmas. He began to reflect how God calls his people to come out of the darkness of sin and to enjoy the wonder of his kingdom. But they don't listen. They are too frightened. They are used to the darkness and it's easier to hide in the darkness. So, God begins to draw closer. He sends his prophets. He gives his law. He speaks his word through them to his people. Surely they will hear it. Silence. So, God stoops down. And he crawls next to his frightened children. The word became flesh. Almighty God took on our humanity. He dwelt with us in our loneliness, in our alienation. He rubbed shoulders with guilt-ridden, cold, cramped sinners who locked themselves up in their own prison of spiritual darkness. And we can only ask why. 
so that we as frightened and fearful children would be able to trust him. So that we would dare to stretch out our hands to take a hold of his love. Without the option of choice, without a willful decision to be vulnerable, to risk, to reach outside of ourselves, love would be meaningless. This morning, our text on Christmas morning reminds us of God's love as it's seen in Jesus Christ. That he stooped down to make himself visible in the person of Jesus Christ. Before we actually jump into that specific text, I think it's good for us to just briefly talk about the different gospel accounts. As you know, there's four different gospel accounts. They all begin differently. Matthew presents Jesus as the rightful king of the Jews. And little wonder then, he begins by listing the genealogy. That's the first thing he does in his gospel account. Then we have Mark, who identifies Jesus as a suffering servant who came to pay the ransom for our sins. Mark's introduction is very brief. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So it's almost like he just jumps right into the public ministry of Jesus. And then there's Luke, who we know is the physician. He describes Jesus as one who came to heal all of the hurts of people. So he takes us on this long and lengthy narrative of the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's in Luke that we often refer to during Advent and Christmas. But then we have this gospel, the gospel of John. And John is focusing on Jesus as the Son of God, as the one who left heaven and stooped to become a man. As we look a little closer, we're going to notice a couple of things. We're going to look at Jesus as the Word, as he's identified, specifically in eternity. We're told in verses 1 and 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So this passage begins by taking us back to the Old Testament all the way to creation. In the Old Testament, Genesis begins by emphasizing the work of creation. But here, John emphasizes God's being, not just his creativeness and his ability to speak life out of his word, but upon who he is. John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. So what he's saying is, let's go all the way back, even before creation. God was. He existed before anything else was called into being. And yet, it is not the God as a triune God who's the subject, but 
one whom he identifies as the Word, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. In the ancient wor world, that word, word, describes designation of an object, but it also refers to that which uh, embodies that object or that person. And so in saying it, he is saying the word of God refers to the power and the source of God himself, that is God's actual being. In Psalm 33, verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. So the word of the Lord is then equated to the power of God, of who he is. So John is saying, Jesus is the one who orders and makes sense of the world because he created it. And he's the one who communicates from God to man. He is the manifestation of God. He is the one who is God and yet took on human flesh. He goes on to describe this word. He gives us the identity of the word. And he's identified in two different ways. Not saying that Jesus is two separate persons, but that there are two aspects to his being. John says the word was God. And then in verse 14, the word became flesh. So we take verse 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. And then we go to the end of our passage, verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he identifies who the word is. Second, he shows that this, word, this person, this word, pre-existed all things. In verse 1, he does not say, in the beginning, the word came into being. Instead, he tells us that at the very beginning of time, the word already was. That is, the word pre-existed. And we find that in the three statements that are made in verse 1. In the beginning was the word, meaning it pre-existed before all time. And the word was with God. So he pre-existed alongside of God. And the word was God. That is, as God existed. And then we come to verse 14. And, and something changes. And it's something that we don't quite realize until we look a little closer at it. Instead of reference to what was, we read of something that became, that came into being. So we look at the significance of that phrase, Jesus as the Word. It signifies communication, communicating an idea, but God himself revealing himself first. There's a gap between us as human beings and who God is. We are finite creatures. God is an infinite creator. Unless that infinite creator reveals himself. Which is exactly what John is saying. 
I want to just speak briefly to the boys and girls. That's why Jesus came, because he was the one that showed the people who God was. Jesus is God's word to us as human beings. God, like, the, uh, like Henry wanted to go underneath the bed to be next to little Tommy to give him comfort and strength, God wants to get close and personal to us. So he became a man himself. We see that in Hebrews chapter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. That's the significance. That leads us then to our second main point. We see that this word who existed from all eternity became flesh, took on human flesh. In verse 1, we said that the word was there ever since the beginning and even before has always existed and reflects the glory of God. And yet, as we now look at the word, God taking on human flesh, it becomes a pivotal point within this passage. It literally is the fulcrum that brings into line everything that has been said up to this point. It shows us the fundamental mystery that is unique to the Christian faith. That is, the God of the universe became flesh and lived amongst human beings. Now, to most other religions, especially to Judaism, this would be considered blasphemous. The deity of Christ, however, is central to the Christian faith. If Jesus is not truly God, then we should not be worshiping him. If Jesus is not God, then he has no authority to forgive us of our sins. If Jesus is not God, then you and I are still lost in our sin. But here we see God revealing himself, the one who was from the beginning, who was with God, who was God, took on human flesh. Why? Why would he do that? Why would an infinite, eternal, unchangeable God literally stoop down to, to lay aside his glory and majesty in order to be born of a humble peasant girl in a backwoods town? Why would the creator of this world take on the form of the created? I want to suggest three different reasons, and they're given to us in verse 14. We're told, first of all, he became flesh that he might live amongst us. It says, 
to dwell amongst us. In the Old Testament, we know God revealed himself in a powerful way. He, he revealed himself in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night as, as he led the people of Israel. In this passage, it says the word, the word dwelt among us. That is, he tabernacled amongst us. In the same way, in the Old Testament, the people would come to the tabernacle, later to the temple, to meet with God. And now it is Jesus through whom we are able to go to God. And in taking on flesh, something happened. In verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. And then in verse 14, this Word became flesh. So we go from a verb that is an imperfect tense, which means it continues in action, to a, a verb in verse 14 that is aorist. In other words, it points back to a specific point in time when something changed. So verse 1 speaks of an ongoing existence. Verse 14, of change as the word becomes something that previously was not. The word took on flesh, and that change has had eternal repercussions. The one who became God and man stayed that way. Second, we look at the word became flesh, and the reason is so that we can behold his glory. Again, in verse 14, he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Here's where we see a very clear connection with the passage that Pastor Dave preached on. If you recall, when he, he spoke about Moses, and the time when Moses says, Lord, I want to see your glory. And God says to him, Moses, you can't do that. In fact, if you try, you will die. But here's what I'll do. I'll have you stand in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand, and then I will cause my goodness to pass by you. And after I have passed, I'll remove my hand, and you will just see a glimpse of my glory. Well, the coming of Jesus is the answer to the prayer of Moses, show me your glory. The disciples also saw the glory of Jesus, and we looked at that last week in his transfiguration, and they saw it for what it was worth. It was the glory of God, the Father. He became flesh also so that we might know grace and truth. That's what John says. We beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We know grace and truth because of the one who is grace and truth. The one who has come to earth. One author writes, when John speaks of the incarnate word as full of grace and truth, he is pointing us to the fact that truth and complete reliability are both bound up in God's being. 
truth and grace are only revealed from God himself. So we see the eternal God through the living word, Jesus, entering into time and space to reveal himself to mankind. We see his grace. We see his truth in the gift of salvation. So what are the implications? Not only did the word become flesh on Christmas Day, he dwelt among us. We talked about that earlier. It's the word tabernacled. It means to take up residence. But even more so, it implies that God's glory came down to be near to us in Jesus Christ. And Jesus continues to be present through the Spirit. Jesus is with us every moment of every hour of every day of our lives. And so the implications are, first of all, very comforting. Jesus came to understand our needs, to share with us in every way. He suffered. He knew pain. He was rejected. He was hungry. He experienced every other human emotion. He weeps with us, and he longs to share with us on a personal level. But not only is it comforting, it is a little bit unsettling because it means that Jesus is not somewhere way out in the distance, but he is with us. He is present at all times. God goes with us. And isn't that incredible? Jesus is with us in the midst of our daily routine lives, in the midst of even what we consider to be mundane. We see God's love reaching out in Jesus, calling us from the darkness of sin into the glorious light of his presence. I like a quote by R.C. Sproul. He says, John's words here remind us of the hope of the incarnation. Even apart from sin, human flesh is limited. But because of sin, we inherit flesh that is failing and fading. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 that the outward man is literally perishing every day. So the fact that the word was made flesh and in that flesh perfectly kept the law and bore the penalty of the law and bodily rose from the dead is the assurance that we who look to him and who cling to him by faith will be able, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, to put off the corruptible and to put on the incorruptible. And as believers, that is the hope that we have. And God is faithful. What he says, he will most certainly carry out. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, we give praise and thanks to you. We know that our Lord Jesus Christ has always existed as, as the creator. But also we read in the, this passage that the word Jesus took on flesh and became one of us in order to be both human, to pay the price for our sins, but also to have the power to be able to be completely obedient through his deity. Lord, we know that there's only one way of salvation, and that is through our Lord Jesus. And today, especially, we just take the time to reflect on that fact. And as we, as we share um, a meal, a feast, as we open gifts, uh, as we uh, perhaps read the Christmas story, may we realize just how amazing it is that you came in Jesus to care for us. May we never take that for granted in Jesus' name. Amen.